0: Learning how to save is a skill set that everyone needs. And that is absolutely essential. You know, have to learn how to save to do anything, but it doesn't end there. You know, you have to actually do something with that money, like putting it in a savings account. You're losing money over time by doing that versus investing it. So really taking people to that next step. And I think this is something we see with the genders too. Like women, we're more cautious, we're more conservative. We want to have more money in savings. And so we talk to women all the time who have like, $30,000 $30,000 in our savings account and $15,000 of credit card debt. And we're like, what are you doing? Use that to pay it off. And then that's the rest.
1: <laughs> Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra premium unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. relax your mind, and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the higher standard. It's that time again, and I am your host, Chris. Thank you so much for tuning in. This week, I've got an interview with Britt Baker, a Harvard graduate who is every bit as humble as you can be, doesn't even mention her pedigree on on the show. And I love the fact that what she did take the time to mention was the fact that this experience is one that predates her interest in the business. Like so many entrepreneurs, she is passionate about what she does and even did the same thing with her mother. So I love my mom. My mom was a huge influence on my life. In a lot of ways, most of my mentors were female. So when I heard there was an organization that she co-founded called the Dow Janes, I had to get into it, and not just because the name is exceptional. The Dow Janes is a financial education company that exists to get Women Plus in control of their money. They believe that Women Plus, with money, have more choices and louder voices. And you know that I feel exactly the same way. We all have louder voices when we have confidence when it relates to our financial position. And that is a sad but understated important thing in society that we don't talk about enough. The Dow Janes are on a mission to build the financial confidence of Women Plus around the world. And that resonates with me highly. This podcast wouldn't exist today if I didn't have the same passion and the same love. And frankly, I commend a group that has been able to grow and scale to the size that Dow Janes has to over 60,000 members in such a short period of time, approximately two years. The conversation with Britt Baker was enlightening and really wonderful. It was like having a beer with an old friend. And I hope you enjoy it too. Brit, welcome to the show. I got to tell you, I was super, super excited to see you come up as a possible guest. And frankly, I was really, really excited to hear your story about how you got to where you are, how the Dow Janes got started. And, and if you could kind of just give us a, a robust kind of intro into how you got to where you're at.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having us on. So let's see where to begin. Dow Janes. The name, I'll give you the backstory on the name, which is that my mom was in an investment club when I was a little girl and they called themselves Dow Janes. And so
1: It's an exceptional name. I It's create. a great
0: name. Yeah. <laughs> so have to give credit where credit is due. So yeah, and that's, you know, as background, I grew up in a family where we talked about we talked about money, we talked about investing, we talked about finances all the time. So that was kind of my story coming into it. And when I was living in the Bay Area as a Post-college, post-grad school, adult, a lot of friends started asking me about investing. They said, like, how do I get invested? Or, you know, what does it mean to invest? And, you know, it's a lot of peers and friends and people in their early 30s who, you know, we should know that (laughs) by now. We should have been taught that.
1: And it's shocking how many don't, right?
0: So many don't. I mean, yeah, most of us don't. And it's not their fault. You know, we're not taught this in the education system. So what I did was started a a little club in my living room, kind of off the theme of my mom's investment club. And it was...
1: I'm seeing some parallels here. I like it. All right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. You know, it, it was a safe space to come and talk about money with your peers. And I would, you know, give a little PowerPoint on, you know, how to invest and what are stocks and bonds and diversification, asset allocation, you know, teaching these terms in a way that was easy to understand. And... There was so much interest. You know, I would go to a, a dinner party or a, a gathering and someone was like, when is the next Dow Janes meeting? I want to be part of it. And it just grew organically. It was this like, you know, there was a, such a hunger for a place to talk about money with other women.
1: Why do you think it was perceived to be a safe place? You think it's because it was, wasn't like a formal, you know, environment. It was just people hanging out, being social. Like, why, why were people so comfortable in that space?
0: Yeah, I think one, it's like it was in my living room. Two, it was all women. So, you know, we talk about this a lot in our space. I mean, the financial industry was created by men for men. It's a very masculine world, and when you go to to learn about it, it's you're trying to like sift through a lot of masculine energy. And so, talking about finances in a women and a group of people who identify as women just makes it feel a little warmer.
1: And it's sad. It's sad to say this, but you know, hand experience in banking and finance myself, I, I feel like it's just now starting to really get lift on the change. You know, being more appreciative of women in the space. But for and this is the sad part for me, at least my experience is most of the people in the business were actually women through the decades, but the ones at the top were almost always men. And I found that to be so crazy. But there are tons of, of, of great candidates out there. So. You guys have this club. You have this group of people that are getting together. When do you decide that it's time to level that up into something tangible?
0: Yeah, great question. So I was had kind of a side job. I was always just doing Dow Jones for fun. It was just a club. And then as I started, I had kind of like a moment of crisis of like, what is it that I really want to do with my life? And the thing I was doing wasn't it. It wasn't like the thing I wanted to dig into and get really good at. And again, this interest, this organic interest was peaking. And so I went to my best friend at the time, Lorian King, before we were business partners and said, Hey, let's, you know, you've done this before you started an online business. Let's do this together. Let's put Dow Janes online and reach as many people as we can. Uh, And that was in October, right before the pandemic.
1: Oh my gosh. Wow. So that was impeccably good timing, but kind of weird. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. And she was, uh, I always say 11, she was like eight and a half months pregnant with her first kid. So not, you know, interesting time to start a business together. And we would have brainstorming sessions while she was in the bath and kind of like came up with the idea of what Dow Jones was over, you know, hot tub sessions and phone calls
1: Well, that that sounds exceedingly more interesting than half the meetings that I have with with, my (laughs) meetings. Although I will say they've increasingly involved pizza as of late and my weight shows it. But um, So the original plan was to take those meetings that you guys had together and to build it up and to grow it. But that seems to have grown really, really fast in just what, almost a year and a half, two years? Exactly. Yeah. So... What are your product offerings now and how how robust has this gotten for you?
0: So our product offering has remained the same as when we first started. We have one product. It's called the Million Dollar Year. And again, we came up with that name in the hot tub. <laughs> what we're going to call it. And the way... I mean, for anyone who's you know starting a business or thinking about launching something, the way that we did it, and I share this with everyone, is we had 20 customer interviews where we had we talked to people who were in the, we call it the OG Dow Janes, the living room version. We had an hour-long conversation with each of them saying, you know, what is it that you want? What are you looking for? What can we build that will serve exactly your needs? And that's how we created the Million Dollar Year.
1: I love it. So, I mean, I guess... You know, with, with such a, a resounding success and your website is beautiful, I, I've stalked your social media, which I guess makes me a little stalkerish, but you know, it's the, that's the job. It, it seems like you guys have, have built quite a, an interesting brand. I mean, what are, what are the plans for the future? Do you guys want to build that as, as much as you can or do you want to provide additional services or are you solely going to be focused on, on on females moving forward? I mean, because a lot of the videos that you guys see, I've seen your YouTube, for example, those are, those are exceptional and I found a lot of value in those and, and they don't really don't have a gender bias at all.
0: Mm -mm. Yeah, not at all. And I mean, everything we teach is applicable to everyone. You know, it's not like we're teaching in a way that just women would understand. It's just the community we're trying to create is people who identify as women, but the material is universal.
1: So I guess one of the things I kind of noted when I was looking at your content, and I thought it was really interesting is, is that a lot of times a creator will go out there and they'll try to create their community. But you just being women who have this interest already really have this underlying community of people who have an interest but have been afraid to ask. How has the reception been and how are people opened up to to, to asking those questions?
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that observation. One of the things we do with our Instagram is we keep it super positive. you know I don't know if you've you've probably looked at it, but it's just like it's a reminder that you know this isn't your fault and it's gonna be okay and you know here's the mindset to take on instead. And that's the material that really hits with people. So we have this one, this one piece that we use where the top line is kind of the way that you used to think about your finances. So it's like, I'm never going to get out of debt. And we cross that out. And then below that, we say, you know, I have a plan to get out of debt and I'll be debt free in the next two years. And just really like so much of money is mindset mindset. And that's a big piece at Dow Jones. So where we start in our programs, it's where we focus on our a lot of our social media. It's really addressing that, you know, our relationships with money and how we think and feel affects everything else in our financial lives.
1: You know, I'll tell you, one of the things that's been shocking to me as I've gotten more and more down this path from just a personal curiosity perspective is... How much of this is still not being taught in school, right? Like you have these macro and microeconomic classes, but nobody teaches you about opening a credit card or managing your checking account, which used to be checkbook, but, you know, and nobody, you know, nobody teaches you how to buy a home and nobody teaches you how to, if you get, you know, over leveraged, how to pay that off and, you know, what your credit score is comprised of. And I think so many people get into this like Google search and it gets very discouraging. So having somebody like you guys out there with a positive message to really deliver that is empowering, but how do you penetrate the market and get people to, to show interest? Is it just the positivity or is it because you guys are approachable because you're authentic? I mean, what do you think the secret sauce is for you guys?
0: Oh, I mean, that's the, that's the golden ticket right there. If <laughs> we could tell you that. Tell me how to
1: steal your content. No. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: one thing I do want to touch on that you just said was, oh, just that, you know, when people go out to Google things. You can Google it, but you don't know what to do in what order. And when it comes to personal finance, it's so important to do things in the right order. You know, it can make or break your financial situation if you you decide to invest before you've paid off your high interest rate debt and people don't know those things. And so part of what we do is really teach step by step and we break it down into bite sized pieces so that they know they're doing the exact right things in the right order and can feel really confident about their path going forward.
1: And that, that's a huge part of it. I think confidence and mindset, kind of like what you alluded to, has been a big deal. So many people that, that I have talked to have had this like inner, even successful people. And I don't know if you guys have experienced this as well, but like I'll, I'll have people that have an outward, very successful life come to me and ask me very, very basic financial questions. And it's shocking to me that, that they had not figured that out yet.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean the fact that this is not taught in schools, the fact that we don't learn the the most basic, you know, we don't even need to teach real estate, but just teach, you know, opening a credit card and you know, managing how to use a credit card. That would be, you know, a prerequisite for anyone getting a credit card and we'd save a lot of issues with debt in this country.
1: Yeah, so you know, and that's another thing too is, is that the way we think about debt is is so toxic. But yeah, you can go online and find positive articles about things like arbitraging debt and how to use it, and the wealthy use it to get wealthy and and kind of like baby steps. But that would be kind of one of those things at the end. But it's hard to go online and the zeitgeist that's the interwebs and try to find some rationale or understanding. So, so your organization now, you know, you guys are you guys are teaching this stuff. You guys have content out there. You're creating. Do you find that most people now come to you through social media? Is, is social media really drawing them in, or is it still really word of mouth and the power of relationships? I mean, what brings people to you the most?
0: Yeah, um, our ads. <laughs> so we, you know, when we first started, we um, when we launched, we launched with friends and family. So we had about you know forty people join us in the beginning, and then we built out the content, and then we didn't start using really getting any new customers until six months in to 2020. So about halfway through 2020, we started advertising. And we, unlike a lot of startups, you know, they'll start with organic, but we had, because we built it, sold it, and then built it, we had money to be able to do ads first. So we started with ads and then we added on organic and social media after that.
1: Who would have thought? Very sound financial approach, right? (laughs) Shocker there.
0: (laughs) And our, you know, our social media, it's really sweet to see those numbers just start to increase as our, as we grow and having more and more people come through organic and really, you know, they, they'll see our content on YouTube and on Instagram and that's how they'll realize that, you know, it's a match and then they'll come want to join.
1: So I'm going to ask you a question, and this one's going to be a little provocative. So don't don't uh, don't feel the need to answer You can tell me, shut up, and I will. But um, one of the things that frustrates me is that I'll get on social media, and I'll see that some of these creators that are generally, and I'm generalizing, of course, uh, very young, or are you know, repeating things that Google says. They're not giving, you know, they're not giving educational information from a place of experience and a place of, of frankly, just really knowing the material. So it can become very difficult for me when I talk to people to really kind of reverse engineer this misinformation. Are you guys seeing that a lot?
0: Yeah. You know, what I see is I just see a lot of copycats out there. It's like, you know, we had a whole, there was an, a Dow Jane's Instagram that just, just repeated our content. And, you know, with it's so easy to just take content and repurpose it and put it back up. And so yeah i see we see that all the time, and I think you'll notice the difference when it's you know it's original content or it's a, a way of talking about things that you've haven't heard before, and then you know that the content's being created by people who know what they're talking about or have you know some background
1: so I'm going to ask the the really interesting questions I think for me and i i've I've experienced a couple of things, but I would love to see. What are the most common lessons that you see that you need to teach people about as they come in because there's going to be this symmetry with because there's so much that we don't know. what are the most common challenges you guys see when somebody comes to you guys and they need help?
0: The first one I would say is that um, people think that investing is risky it's like anytime I say and you you know you're as a real estate investor, you get it, but I was on a podcast yesterday and i And I talked about investing and she was like, I just cringe.
1: You were on somebody else's podcast. I know. Yeah.
0: (laughs) She just got this like tightness in her body. and was like investing is scary and risky and, you know, something other people do. And we hear that over and over and over again. And so a big thing that we try to do is educate on that misconception and really teach that, you know, if you're investing for the long term and you're investing in diversified portfolio and you, you know, you have the time horizon, you don't need to take your money out of the market. Almost always you're going to, you're going to make money.
1: Oh yeah. Unquestionably.
0: And so that's something that, you know, even when you're in the space, I think you have to hear that and see it enough times that it really gets ingrained. And so that's a big, big piece that we teach. There's, you know, there's, there's so much interest in investing and yet there's so much fear about it. The other other big thing we have to teach is that people think that they're um, they just want to invest. They're like, it's the thing I'm supposed to be doing. I'm ready to you know teach me how.
1: Just put it somewhere. Just go. Let's go. Let's go. Right. <laughs> Let's yeah.
0: go. Just you know, let me open a Robinhood account. And over and over again, we have to remind people that you have to pay off your interest, high interest rate debt. So any credit card debt you have, pay that off first, and save an emergency fund. And once you've done those two things, then you can invest. But if you don't do those two things first, you're probably going to lose money.
1: I mean, what do you recommend as an emergency fund?
0: Uh, We have a whole formula that we take people through of like, you know, how comfortable do you want to be in the case of an emergency and how, you know, how hard is it for you to find work again? So it's anywhere from, you know, if you have high interest credit card debt, we say start with $1,000 in your emergency fund. Um, Obviously, if you're like taking care of a family, you might want more than that. And then for your bigger emergency fund, before you're ready to invest, it's anywhere from six weeks to six months.
1: Mm, very interesting. i typically, th- when I was younger, it was, it was a month, I think for me. And then as I got older in my career, it wound up being, you know, I mean, much older and much more successful. It wound up being about six months. And to this day, I still keep the same emergency fund, even though, you know, I've got investments that I could liquidate, but because I still have that same fear, I think that fear is healthy, right? You, so uh, I had this argument the other day with somebody. We have traditionally been brought up in American culture to believe that you have to save and you know have that money under your mattress, and you have to do all these things. and And I, I'm an executive at a publicly traded bank. We want people's money in savings, and there's some value to that. But I think the people are starting to appreciate that saving is not going to get you there.
0: And saving is going to get you nowhere.
1: <laughs> you have to un, you have to really take people in you know tell them that hey, I know your mom and dad preach this, but that's not the way. That, that's that got to be challenging, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, well, and it's nuanced too, because of course, you know, savings, learning how to save is a skill set that everyone needs. And that is absolutely essential. You know, have to learn how to save to do anything, but it doesn't end there. You know, you have to actually do something with that money, like putting it in a savings account. You're losing money over time by doing that versus investing it. So really taking people to that next step. And I think this is something we see with the genders too, like women we, we're, we're more cautious, we're more conservative, we wanna have more money in savings. And so we talk to women all the time who have like $30,000 in their savings account and $15,000 of credit card debt. And we're like, what are you doing? Use that to pay it off and then invest the rest.
1: <laughs> well, and I'll say that my experience with women in the industry, all of my mentors have frankly been women, and including my mom, well, Mommy, I love you. You know, it's shocking to me that more women aren't in the financial planning sector, um, which has historically been a male dominated industry. Because women, as far as my experience, have had a better aptitude. They're better at it. They have a better aptitude for it. I think it, maybe it's the way we raise, you know, genders in this society, but women have a better ability in, in most cases to plan and to think ahead in that way.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're, we're not trying to like gamble <laughs> in the stock market or treat, like try to make a quick win. We're much more steady. And that's, you know, that's how you win. And investing is just, at least with our approach, is you know, long-term holding
1: up. Well, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be your approach. I mean, you could look at Warren Buffett and, you know, and his, his business partners and, and everything they've ever said in every shareholder conference has always been like, look, you can throw your money into investments or you could put it all into low-cost index funds and ride the market over time. And what I tend to tell people is if you look at you know Warren Buffett, the overwhelming majority of his money was made in the last you know decade, decade and a half of his life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which you know we all we all want to you know have nice cars and go really expensive places and have great vacations, but you know sometimes things take time, right? <laughs> so going on the same provocative question list, uh, some of this stuff is just morbid curiosity, but I find that a lot of social media in general has impacted the next generation. So a lot of the people that we're talking to, while well, a lot of them are thirty and forty years old, and they still have the same questions, and I find that that to be. Good. They're ready to hear the message, I think, a little bit more than the younger generation, call it 20 to maybe even early 30s, in some cases younger. I find with the younger generation, there, there's more of this, this feeling internally that they haven't accomplished enough yet at such a young age that it becomes difficult, I think, at times to, to get them aligned with you're on the right path, like you're doing good. Just the fact that you're asking the question do you find that there's a certain age demographic, which really comes to you more frequently than another one?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, with finances, there becomes an urgency. And that urgency we've seen doesn't really hit until mid-30s. So it's either mid-30s where people are like, oh, I'm in my 30s. I probably need to take, start taking care of my money. And so they'll come to us. The other kind of life scenario where we a lot of, find a lot of people is post-divorce and so they're realizing, you know, they're on their own when it comes to finances for the first time and just want some support. So, that's these life circumstances either being your age, your, you know, marital status or being in loads of debt and realizing, okay, I've got to do something about this, where do I even begin? And that all happens in like 30s and 40s, 50s even as well.
1: Yeah, it's shocking to see how far we a lot of people will go in life before they really even think about the investments because I mean, so when you think about the the american dream right life liberty pursuit of happiness right pursuit of happiness originally meant ownership of property and we all aspire to like i'm just going to buy this and that that's the that's the dream but i think more and more that dream's evolving i think it's more than just owning property right it's it's owning your life it seems like maybe vacations
0: it's freedom yeah it's financial freedom it's the you know the ability to do what you want with your day because you have enough money
1: uh yeah and then the irony is i can tell that you have this passion too because clearly That's how the Dow Jane started, right? Like you were super passionate about what you do. And it was kind of like that side hustle hobby thing that really evolved. And I found that entrepreneurs who are really successful, it's a dual-edged sword. They have this like passion and joy about what they're doing. It becomes something that they love doing. And then you get immersed in it. But then you're not taking the freedoms and liberties because you're so immersed in it, right? When was the last time you went on vacation?
0: I mean, this is – I will give you the full story here because this is actually – I'm like kind of an anomaly when it comes to being an entrepreneur. And I'm so grateful to have a business partner because we have a really good balance. So last vacation I went on was last week. I went to Mexico for my birthday.
1: Look at you. Happy belated birthday.
0: Thank you so much. And I'm actually leaving for Costa Rica on Tuesday for five weeks.
1: Okay, now I'm pissed off. Seriously? (laughs)
0: So, and it's because, you know, we have, you know, my business partner's been on maternity leave for two months. So I've been running the business. She'll be back on February 1st. She'll be running the business and I'm going to work remotely from Costa Rica. and
1: Awesome. But you're still, you're still working though. I mean, let's be honest in today's remote world that that's still working, right? You're not like off for like five weeks.
0: I mean, does this count? You know, I'm going to like do podcast interviews. This is so fun to me.
1: This is hard work. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm <laughs> over here.
0: It's
1: probably the six tons of caffeine that I've had. But um, so, so, yeah. okay. So you, you and your partner have this, this wonderful equilibrium and you guys can go off and, and do your thing. And, but that's also, but look what you just said. You said you're going to go on, on vacation for several weeks, right? But while you're there, you're going to be doing things that you don't consider to be work. This is work. This is promoting your brand. And that's, that's the love of the business that makes work feel like it's not so bad, right? Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: How do you teach your, your clients that? How do you get them to appreciate that?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I guess would be finding something that you love. And we have a lot of lot of entrepreneurs who are, you know, they're healers and they're body workers and they're musicians and they're artists and they're, you know, it seems like a lot of them, coaches, ton of coaches, you know, people are really doing work that they care about. And that's, you know, that seems like it's happening more and more as we go down in generations. Like- Influencers, you know, people who are doing work that they're like didn't that work didn't exist 20 years ago.
1: Oh, not at all. And I think a lot of stuff that's gonna exist, frankly, 10 years from now is gonna be vastly different than what we're experiencing now. Yeah. I know that you're in this space and I, I've I've got a lot of like really technical questions, which may bore some of the audience, but it's my show. So what? Um so, <laughs> I know that in this space right now, a lot of people are doing things like going to Robinhood or going to these like online trading apps, and they're starting to invest that way. And I'm using air quotes for those of you who can't see me. I personally have felt, and I want to hear your opinion on this, that you really can't replace the human element of somebody knowing your financial position. And it really should be you. But a lot of times people will go to financial advisors for it and whatever. But we have to take a certain level of ownership of our financial perspective. And I think there's this weird reliance on technology doing the work for us. You see that mm. a lot?
0: Yes, we see this all the time. And I, it's, hmm, I want to go in two different directions with this conversation because I'm also not a fan of financial planners.
1: Ah, there you go. Okay. Tell me why. I'm not, I'm not saying I disagree, but I just want to hear your opinion.
0: So, you know, they make their, their businesses based on, you know, beating the market and charging you 1% to do so. But overwhelmingly, they don't beat the market and then they just charge you 1% for something that you could have done by investing in a low-cost index fund. So Uh, each way at your at the value of your investments over time, you know, it can be it can be worth like a million dollars in fees what you could have gotten by investing those fees and letting them grow over time. So that's one piece. But I get that there is value in having, you know, if you're the type of person who needs a financial advisor to keep you invested, to keep you from pulling your money out of the market, then they're probably worth their fee for people who are self-motivated or have the self-control to stay in the market. I would say low cost index funds day over day. Then there's the conversation about, you know, robo advising and, um, and these platforms. You're going to
1: be surprised how much I don't disagree with anything you just said, but I'm going to let you go. And then I'll
0: tell you why. Let's go ahead. Okay. Then th- with the platforms, you know, I'm a fan of any way that will get someone invested. So if that's what they need, if they need someone else to choose it and they just are gonna be hands-off, fine. But I would say, do your homework and pay attention to the fees again. You know, a lot of these places are charging, they get away with charging like a dollar a month. I'm also using air quotes for those of you who can't see me. You know, which people don't realize what that is as a percentage of their assets. And if they're only investing like a couple hundred dollars, that is an exorbitant fee and people aren't doing the math to see what it actually is as a percent of their assets. And so what makes me really angry is these platforms that seem to be out there to like t- support the everyman, like get anyone invested, and yet are really taking advantage of people.
1: So I have relationships with a lot of these platforms, and I'm going to say this because it's going to piss a lot of people off, but it's true. I think a lot of these platforms cater to people who are too lazy to be sophisticated enough to understand their own financial profile. In the real estate world, as a corollary, what I typically tell people is that you can hire a property manager, but you owe it to yourself to know the business well enough to manage your own property. Absolutely. And if you get to the point where financially you just don't want to deal with it anymore and you want to hire a property manager like my sister who extorts me for 10%, you hire. (laughs) Right?
0: But you know what's going on at the building before you hire her.
1: And you know how it should operate. So if something isn't working, you have the at least the mindset to be able to say, hey. I'm, I'm concerned about these things.
0: Absolutely. It's like do it yourself first and then hand it off.
1: 100%. And you don't teach us. Nobody teaches us this in school. And if you come from a high net worth family and someone's going to give you a lot of money, you should be understanding how to manage your money. And you should not only take courses there, but you should do it yourself before one day you get handed a, you know, a portfolio of assets that you give to a financial advisor and you just take that money. I have found those people, the the Rothschilds, the Vanderbilts, these people understand money generations later. That's why they still have money today. So, I don't disagree with you. I think that's absolutely accurate. I do think there is a point of diminishing returns when people become so uber wealthy and successful. Like, you know, if you have a wealth advisor who's managing no less than half a million or a million dollars a year or something to that effect, you're in a different position. You probably are, are making the judgment call on time and efficiency, but you should still know what they're doing.
0: Absolutely yeah and i'm I'm yeah, I'm not talking about the the people for whom you know losing a million dollars in fees is worth it for the peace of mind. I'm talking about the people who you know that would make or break their retirement
1: and there there's a lot of people out there who I think spend a, a lot of time trying to find smart investments, and it's like, guys, like Warren Buffett has already said the market's going to perform, and yet we, we keep trying to reinvent the wheel and figure out a different way to get there. But, you know, that, that's just, uh, maybe it's just human nature to, to, to find the challenges there. But I don't disagree with you. I think that, that's, a, that's probably one of the things that I tell people the most is, like, you shouldn't be looking for somebody to offload your responsibility of investing to. It's like, would you, would you unilaterally hire somebody to run your company if you owned one? <laughs> you wouldn't, right? Like, you would, you would right. want to be in charge or, you know, the chairman of the board, if you will, if you, something like that. But people have this tendency to want to find, uh, you know, that path. Uh, and along those lines, so are you seeing a lot of people come to you with questions about cryptocurrency?
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, That's um not as much. There was kind of like this phase, this like couple week window where it was just all these crypto questions.
1: Yeah, right now we're in a, like a second crypto winter, so I'm pretty pretty sure it's not the same
0: question. Exactly. Right it's like good thing I didn't invest. No. You know, my business partner and I both got into it in the past couple months, past six months, just to like know it and learn it. So we have these these bots that trade for us each day. Really? Yeah, just because the you know the crypto market is
1: twenty four seven volatile, yeah,
0: So volatile, yeah, exactly. And so it's you know with a bot, it's easy to just make like pretty short, short bets, make like one percent here and there a couple times a day.
1: So do you like it? What are your thoughts so far? This is Noosh. You know, endeavor. I
0: found it to be like mostly entertaining. Like it's not, it's not a huge moneymaker, but it just has kept me. Um, abreast of like what you know what is this how do you do it how would someone do it if they wanted to invest in crypto keeps
1: you financially interested right yeah
0: exactly yeah and it's you know similar to the stock market there's different strategies there's like are you trying to make a bet each day or are you just buying and holding so i have buy and hold on in a few coins and then i have this bot strategy going as well but it's not something we teach in our program right now
1: yeah well i wouldn't teach it either i think just because where the markets are at and it's Volatile. I actually just saw something this morning talking about how Biden was suggesting that cryptocurrency regulation is coming. You may not have an answer to this, but I'm going to ask you a question that I don't think anybody's got an answer to. Uh, but it's more opinion than anything else. I've often wondered why the United States cryptocurrency is undermining, you know, government-sponsored currency fiat, and it, it's really a threat to kind of the traditional U.S. banking system in a lot of ways. But you know, I, I can respect that banks are getting into the space. We're a bank. We're in the space a little bit. And I can respect that this is all happening, but I've oft- often wondered why the government hasn't stepped in for any type of regulation so far. It's gone on a long, long time with no involvement. And there's got to be more to that story, right?
0: Well, I mean, the, the nature of it is decentralized. And so once it becomes regulated, does it lose its power?
1: Well, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I can't think that it does uh, if you're a fan of like things. And for those of you listening, I think I've always said that my value, I think for all this is really the blockchain, not so much the cryptocurrency itself. I think titling and ownership is really where the money is going to be made at. But I don't know. I, I really don't know. It, there's a lot of things that are decentralized in Robinhood's platform. And, you know, they seem to be flourishing if, if they're a proxy for the market, although it's very different. But they have SEC regulation with this, you know, just the consumers treated differently.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a tricky space. I'm, I'll be very curious to see what happens. My yeah, you know, my brother is um, does a lot of emerging market investing and is building a port in Nigeria right now and is trying to raise money. And there's a lot of fear about you know what's going to happen to the local currency. And so he's starting a project to couple basically you know blockchain crypto investing overseas to de-risk investing.
1: There's a lot of beer conversations to be had there with that. With that so <laughs> I'm, I'm building a, something in Nigeria doesn't sound like a low risk endeavor. But um, so okay, so you have this model, you have people that are that are that are learning that are growing. A lot of people get into this kind of mindset where they want to monetize so many different aspects of what they're doing. It sounds like you and your partner are really focusing on the brand value and delivering this product in a really, really professional way. It seems infinitely scalable. I mean, wh- wh- where would you like to see yourself in three years?
0: The way the... Let's see, what is it right now? 2022?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what we
0: talk- <laughs> Where are we? Uh, our goal was to get 10,000 uh, people who identify as women invested by 2025. Um, I think we're probably going to... Blow that number out of the water. We have. I
1: would say you have to. I mean, given yeah. <laughs> that.
0: we like didn't realize how ambitious we could be when it was 2021. But really, it's just reaching more people with this with this education that everyone should have gotten in schools. So how many? You know, we teach. It's not just us. We have people in Australia, Canada, the UK. You know, all over because personal finance it's universal. These things we're teaching. You know, there are retirement accounts in the U.S. and in Canada. And so really just meet, reaching as many women as we can with this education so that to level the the gap, the wealth gap, the opportunity gap, really give women the same opportunities for financial freedom as anyone else.
1: And I mean, so you've been doing this you know, for some time now prior, obviously, to the Dow Janes being formalized. You guys were doing it for a long time. Have, have you got... You know success stories that have come out of those original like group of people, like you know how how have they turned things around, how have they grown? like what do those stories look like?
0: Oh, my gosh, it is you know my heart just explodes when I see the success stories of people increasing their net worth by eighty thousand dollars since they've been in the program, paying off thirty thousand dollars of credit card debt. You know, being able to divorce their partner who, you know, was abusive in whatever way because they now have the financial security to be able to do so. People leaving their jobs and starting doing what they really want to do because now they have the stability to do it. Having a security fund to, or an emergency fund to take care of their autistic son. It's just like the stories of, you know, what they're able to do that i mean that's just the financial piece the other piece is the confidence like hearing people just the change in their tone of voice after they go through the program of what they believe about themselves and how much clarity they have around their finances and you know what is open to them afterwards
1: it really is crazy how much people tie their personal happiness and their confidence to their this unspoken about financial position and it, it's it's bizarre to me to see that there's so many people you know who who will you know I'll interact with on a daily basis who I've got an intimate knowledge of their financial position and you can literally see the relief when they're in a non worried mm. state. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't know how many people you, you probably see this a lot too. I can't count. I and there's every single day I'll see people and I'll look at their financial position and then their personalities. Will, I'll I'll get it. Yeah, like you carry that stress visibly, but we just don't articulate it. As I'm worried about my money.
0: Absolutely, yeah, it's such a weight. You know, it's the thing that keeps people up at night. That just causes this background stress all the time. And getting, you know, freeing that and letting people like show up in the world as themselves, doing what they really want to do. That's that's what we want for people.
1: Yeah, and I will say, you know, we've dealt with high net worth clients, uh, we've dealt dealt with celebrities, uh, we, all the way down to people who are just starting off in high schools and colleges. We've done courses and stuff on, on very similar financial literacy, and and I can tell you that, uh, you know, honestly, the worries are the same. They're just different numbers and, mm-hmm. and different dynamic. But we are really failing in every country, but in, in American culture and in general, we are really failing at raising our our children to appreciate and value having a good financial background can bring, I mean, we just don't, we don't give them the skill set to do it. And then here we are as adults, you know, in thirties and forties, figuring stuff out for the first time. It's overwhelming.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's both. We don't, we don't equip our children with the knowledge to be able to create the life of their dreams, but we also just expect them to, there's this expectation of success and achievement. Um, and so it's both like, Having high expectations without giving them the foundation that they need that just sets people up for, for failure in that way.
1: So I want to be mindful of time. Uh, I, you know we typically keep it to about 40, 40 minutes or so, but I also want to kind of tap you a little bit on some things that so if you bear with me for a couple minutes more, I, I promise I won't pepper you all day long with questions. I love asking people in your position who spend a lot of time with people. You know where do you think the economy is going right now? We're in a very very weird time. It's unprecedented in a lot of ways. Like, what do you think is going to happen? And then what are you telling people who come in to see you, who may be worried or maybe overly optimistic or whatever it is their perspective? Like, what what is your outward stick here?
0: Well, I'm not in the I'm I don't give investment advice. <laughs> Cavity there. You know, we're in the education space. So the you know number one thing I would say is if you're invested, just Hold tight. Uh, don't take your money out of the market. That's why you have an emergency fund. Um, follow Warren Buffett's instructions. Ah. <laughs> and you, it's, it is a weird time. It is, you know, potentially the end of this bubble we've been in. It's really, it feels very uncertain. And so I would say that this is a great time to make sure you have your emergency fund and that you're, you know, taken care of in the ways that you need to. And, you know, you may, this may be a great time to get invested. Um, and otherwise, yeah, just protect yourself, be be more cautious than you would otherwise be.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think the message I've been trying to give people is similar, just being proactive, you know, inflation going up 7% is being felt by a lot of people. Um, and I, I think that when people start to feel the pressure, it starts to become a little more real. And it's a great time for educators such as yourself to, to be out there delivering such a positive message because people need to hear it and they're feeling it. Uh, but what I, I think it is, is it's an unprecedented time in, in our history, you know, artificial interest rate deflation. You have you know, a pandemic, which nobody has ever really, at least in living cultures, appreciated unless you want to go back to like the Spanish flu. Maybe that was similar. You have a housing market which is acting very weird, and it's really hard for first-time home buyers. And I think a lot of people now, more than ever, are feeling pressure. And then there's uh, there's this weird FOMO thing going on on social media where people are literally living out—you know, they're they're balling out and they're living these sus lifestyles. I like to use the word sus. Because I just learned it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. But and I think I think it's creating this weird like kind of dichotomy of personalities for people that come in. I, I speak to twenty-something year olds about this and. On one hand, they're like super excited, but I can make a ton of money. But on the other side, they're like I'm super like concerned because I'm not making enough money. And you're like, well, which one is it? (laughs) Right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is that is a piece. I'll say, just you know, there is more opportunity today than ever to make a lot of money if that's what you want to do. You know, with the world being online, being able to you know advertise in any country, uh, it's it's an easy time to build a business.
1: Well, ending on a resoundingly positive note like the rest <laughs> of your message sounds like the perfect opportunity, Britt. I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, before I let you go, please tell them all where to find you. All this information will be in the show notes and will actually actually be uh, in the newsletter that we send out as well. So everybody will have plenty of access to it. But if you could, let them know.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Go to DowJanes.com. From there, you'll find a link to our free masterclass called Think Like an Investor. That's where you'll get all the nuggets of exactly how to be thinking about this sort of thing in a step-by-step approach. Um, You can also find links to our Instagram and YouTube on our homepage, DowJanes.com.
1: All of which I have stalked thoroughly and I can say the messages are awesome. So (laughs) thank you so much for coming on.
0: Thanks so much.
1: I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you were listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.